As you saw that video, those words there from Colossians could certainly be that title for our theme today of this is what God desires as we live Christian lives for him. Well, I want to take you back to the Old Testament, to the prophet Micah, and in chapter 6, he writes these words. He says, listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before her mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusations. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak king of Moab plotted and what Balaam son of Beor answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Dear friends in Christ, there was a teenage girl who was laughing uncontrollably in her bedroom one night. And she was watching a video. And her father, Professor Arthur Brooks, he poked his head in to see what was going on. And she said to him, Dad, it's an old man who's dancing like a children and singing. Um, Now, you children here, you may not recognize this person, but those who are age of your parents and grandparents, I think you'll know who he is. You guys recognize him? Yeah. Well, it only took a second for her father uh, Brooks to uh, really uh, know what was going on, figuring it out. So, uh, you know, she was watching Mick Jagger. Yeah, he's turning 80 years old this year. This video was just like, not even two years old. So he's still doing. He hasn't thrown out a hip or anything, which is amazing. But there he was singing, "I can't get no satisfaction." You know that song, right? You know that song's been a favorite for decades, for baby boomers and for Gen Xers. And, you know, it had hit the pop charts when Professor Brooks was only a year old. And after all these years, Jagger still can't get no satisfaction. Well, Brooks, who's a writer in Atlantic Magazine, he, he wrote that as we move through life, satisfaction, the joy of, from fulfillment of our wishes or our expectations, is evanescent. I wonder if that was a spelling bee word yesterday. <laughs> I, even I had to look that up. And it means brief or momentary. No matter what we achieve, he says, we see, we acquire, or do, it seems to slip from our grasp. Satisfaction, I told my daughter, is the greatest paradox of human life. We crave it, we believe we can get it, we glimpse it, and maybe even experience it for a brief moment, and then it vanishes but we never give up on our quest to get and hold on to it. 
Or as Mick Jagger would say, because I try and I try and I try and I try, right? Well, Brooks, he's right. Happiness so quickly slips from our grasp. We crave it, we find it, we feel it, and then it disappears. Poof, it's gone. And we go right back to looking at it again and for it. We're always continually searching for satisfaction. So how can we hold on to happiness? Well, listen to what the Lord says. Micah starts out in our text. You know, he's talking to the people of Israel. Micah comes from a rural town, which is called Morasheth. It's in the land of Judah. And Micah's book begins with prophecies of doom directed toward both Israel and Judah. And in his third chapter, Micah said that because the leaders of the people, he says they despise justice and they, they distort all that is right. And Jerusalem, he says, will become a heap of rubble. So what was going on in Jerusalem? Well, the leaders were looking for satisfaction. And Jerusalem's leaders, they would judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price. Her prophets tell fortunes for money. Micah saw that the people in power, they were trying to get ahead in business and government and even religion. And they were finding some corrupt and unjust practices to do to make that happen. In particular, landowners, they were exploiting the poor, the vulnerable people in their community. Micah wrote that they covet fields and they seize them. Houses, they take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance that these people would have gotten from their families. In Jerusalem, the rich were getting richer. And the poor, they were getting poorer. And that playing field wasn't really level at all. But Micah, he's not interested in just exposing injustice. He predicted that a shepherd king would one day rule over Judah. And that new ruler, he'd come from a little town in Bethlehem. And he would be a rural savior in contrast to the established wealthy Jerusalem things that were there. Okay, spoiler alert. His name is Jesus. The prophet, he then goes on to accuse the people of not being satisfied with God's goodness to them. Listen to what the Lord said, the prophet mentioned to them. And he goes on to say these words of God. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. Are you still not satisfied, people? I sent Moses to lead you and also Aaron and Miriam. Are you still not satisfied? Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, which involved crossing the Jordan River into the promised land. Are you still not satisfied? God had brought the people out of slavery, gave them wise and powerful leaders, and was able to lead them into that promised land. And yet the people of Israel, the people of Judah, they can't get no satisfaction. No matter what they achieve or attain, they want more. And instead of enjoying the good life that God has given them, they resort to corruption here, injustice, so that they can satisfy their wishes and their expectations. And so Micah tells them in verse 2, the Lord 
He has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge against Israel. Those were hard words for the people to hear. And some of them, they immediately felt guilty. They asked the prophet what they could do to make things better. And so they asked, what, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? No, the prophet said, no burnt offerings. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? No, the prophet said, not even rams and oil. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Are you kidding? Human sacrifice? No way, says the prophet. Like so many of us today, the people of Jerusalem, they wanted to cut a deal with the Lord. You know, they were lifting up what you might call a foxhole prayer. It's a time where you're doing that when you're in maybe some grave danger. You know, we might say, well, heal me, Lord, if we're diagnosed with some serious medical diagnosis. And, you know, if answer my prayer, Lord, and I'll make a large contribution to the church. Well, those foxhole prayers are obviously understandable, but they're transactional. They're not relational with God. And they send the message that, you know, we want to show our appreciation to God, but we really don't want to change our lives to get closer to God. And this seemed to be true for the people of Israel and Judah. You know, they'd be happy to make a burnt offering, but they weren't going to stop taking bribes. They'd be willing to give the Lord some rams and oil, but they weren't going to stop those bad real estate deals and practices. They were really gladly to give up their firstborn, they would say, but they weren't going to stop committing fraud. The hunger for satisfaction is powerful, isn't it? You know, we're pleasure-seeking creatures, and we'll do almost anything that wants to make us feel good. You know, when Mick Jagger sings, because I try and I try and I try and I try, well, he's talking about that effort that we put into the search for satisfaction. And even at the cost of our ethics, our morals, it could be at the cost of marriages and families and our integrity. God's desire for us is different from what the world desires. His focus is not just an earthly one, but it's one that wants to set us heavenward in our focus. I love St. Paul's words that he shares in the third chapter of Colossians. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Well, then we can understand what satisfaction really means as we live each day of our life. Micah also reveals that the true secret to happiness, it's got nothing to do with money or power or even real estate holdings. It was just six years ago that we had a special theme for our school year here at Trinity. We had used his words for that particular theme. And the prophet says that God has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? 
to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's shockingly simple, isn't it? Acting justly, loving mercy, walking humbly with God. Those are the keys to satisfaction. Biblical professor Daniel Simonson says, Micah clearly states that God is more interested in the way that people live their ordinary lives than in their religious practices. And when we behave in that way, then we can hold on to happiness. First, to act justly. You know, it's not just wishful thinking of the administration of justice in the world, but it's a set of concrete actions that advances fairness and quality to all people. In particular, to act justly means to work on behalf of people who are weak or powerless or are exploited by others. Acting justly, that's the opposite of what those rich landowners of Jerusalem were doing when they exploited the vulnerable people in their community. Secondly, love mercy. The Hebrew word for this commandment is a little bit tricky because when you translate the Hebrew into English, it's translated mercy. That word is called kesed. And it's a common word in the Hebrew scriptures, but it's not one that can be easily translated into any one English word. Yet it means mercy, but it also means kindness, grace, loyalty, and faithfulness. To love Kessa means to love all of these qualities. They're so important in a relationship with God and with the people who are around us. It's similar to what Jesus said to the Pharisees when, you know, in Matthew 9, verse 13, when he's questioned about eating with sinners and tax collectors. You know, Jesus is the one who says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Third, walk humbly with God. And once again, the challenge is to have concrete actions, to walk humbly. That means to travel forward with God, walking in God's ways and staying with God because we know that he's all-powerful. He's the one who can't be manipulated by burnt offerings and rivers of oil. And when we travel in this way, well, then we know that we're mindful of our behavior because we know that God is challenging us as we walk with him to act justly and to love mercy. As we conclude the celebration of the Lutheran Schools Week here and around our country, we're thankful that we're one of the over 1,800 schools in the educational system in our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And there are over 21,000 teachers, which also include our staff. They're the ones who get the satisfaction of sharing Christ daily with the students as we teach them subjects that will help prepare them for high school and college and beyond, for careers that the Lord's going to take them wherever. We also give thanks to God for the many families who have had the satisfaction of bringing their children to a place like this and sending their child or children to get a good quality education and also get the support the support of a church and a school together who are there to really 
care deeply for the needs of those who are coming here. Just as we know how deeply Christ cares for each one of us and for all people, even those who don't have a relationship with him right now in faith. This year's theme, Making Disciples for Life, it focuses on that great commission, the one that Jesus gave to his disciples then and he gives to us even today. We know that God is satisfied whenever we baptize and teach others. We do that as he's commanded in those closing verses of Matthew 28 that you see. Our satisfaction comes in doing what Jesus has called us to do in following him. The promise of this Micah 6, 8 verse, well, it's the gift of satisfaction. And when we act justly, we tend to have good relationships with people around us. When we have mercy, we feel as if we are really walking with God. True satisfaction, it doesn't come from money or power or even property. Instead, it comes from being right with God and right with the people who are around us. We know that God will bless us for we are his loved children. And as we know what he desires for us, well, then we pray that we will follow in his ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us as your children. And as we walk with you, Lord, walk hand in hand with us and, and guide us and lead us. May we not only be those who walk and use our hands and feet, but also our, our lips, our voices, to share that good news of your saving grace for all people. Bless us, Lord, as we continue in these winter months and as we go forward throughout the year. In Jesus' name, amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.